0: You're listening to the Meet the Farmers podcast with me, your host, Ben Eagle. Please remember to subscribe to the show wherever you are listening. And welcome to episode 228 of the Meet the Farmers podcast. I'm your host, Ben Eagle. In a moment, you're going to hear from Niels Caulfield, who is actually based just down the road from me in Norfolk. I recorded this interview with him just before Christmas. Niels is an independent agricultural advisor and educator who focuses on agroecological systems that are low maintenance but also productive. He provides advice and training to farmers and others on soil health, land grazing, agroforestry systems and whole farm planning. I started by asking Niels to tell me how and why his interest grew in soils and agriculture.
1: Well, I don't come from a farming background, so this is sort of a personally driven, I suppose, sort of interest um, and very much comes from that desire to deliver on a kind of sustainable, sustainability agenda, I suppose. And I'm very much kind of, well, essentially self-taught with the work that I do. Um, So I go out, I mean, I've been monitoring farms and soils now for seven years or something. And I think I've monitored over over 200 farms now. And it's just through the sort of repetition of doing that sort of in-field work you know, getting this bait out, and just, and just looking, you know, and seeing what can be observed directly in situ that has really guided my approach. Mm. Have you always had an interest in the natural world? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I sort of grew up with that bit of a background in that area. Sort of, you know, as a member of the Young Ornithologist's Club, YOC, okay. for example. Yep. Um, so I guess a sort of a bit of a sort of naturalist kind of background I suppose. Yeah Yeah, I mean I began sort of doing my own sort of personal research in 2005 and just trying to sort of glean as much information as I could uh, in books and online uh, and then sort of then YouTube came along and just tried to sort of again glean as much information and sort of in uh, skills that was relevant as I could and then you know, only after sort of a while I was like, okay, well, you know, hopefully I've got enough knowledge now and kind of a skill set, if you like, to actually offer to the kind of farming sector as a whole. Okay. What was your first farm project? Probably the most relevant in this case was uh, doing stuff in partnership with the Pasture-Fed Livestock Association, Yeah. as was. So I was involved with their kind of farmer monitoring outreach day, uh, there was that fur farm, uh, I was one of the people that was, was delivering sessions there and that grew into a sort of informal um, sort of farming mon- farm monitoring project that sort of never really sort of like took off just due to sort of lack of sort of capacity okay. but at that, at that time you know I was you know, able to sort of input and lead on it a little bit and because, you know, I wasn't sort of engaged at that point with sort of other sort of responsibilities, essentially, that sort of took up um, all of my capacity, like other sort of researchers, for example, that were kind of nominally sort of involved at that time. So that was that meant I was able to drive it a little bit and, you know, essentially, you know, it became clear to me from doing my own kind of farm monitoring, or soil monitoring at work at that point, that, you know, if this was going to fly, we'd need to have a sort of tech partner uh, okay. to actually deliver on this. Um, so that's when I approached a number of different sort of providers uh, out there in, in the space. So this, was, this was about seven years ago or so, in 2016, actually. And, you know, essentially, Abby Rose at Vida Cycle, or uh, Sector as was, was the only person that really sort of showed yeah, any sort of real interest so you know, essentially, she and I kind of developed the first iteration of Soil Mentor. That's probably what led into this sort of, you know, more kind of in-depth farm monitoring and engagement, and okay. that took us onto five five farms, um, including people like English Farm, for example, yeah, um, and Romshed Farm, and you know, sort of just built from there, really.
0: Yeah, this tend to regen ag, suppose in general. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all because it always has to be done definitions um, what's your definition of regenerative agriculture perhaps mine
1: is a little bit simpler than others ultimately to me um, regener- regenerative agriculture was, which is a bit of a mouthful that's probably the main <laughs> issue you know, it's quite hard to sort of iterate it's about outcomes uh, fundamentally so it's essentially regener- regenerating natural capital it's rebuilding Soils, nutrient cycles um water cycles, and functioning diversity within the sort of farm organism, if you like, or farm ecosystem for one for a better term, yeah, and
0: with that in mind it it can be pointed to sometimes as perhaps a bit of a solution for all the all the problems that we face is that is that fair? Is, is that is that is that the case
1: yeah, I mean essentially. Uh, the outcomes really should lead practice and management choices. Um and essentially any practice that delivers on improved soil health, for example, you know, improved infiltration, um, either either as a sort of steady kind of trend or sort of over time, you know, should be repeated, you know, as an approach. If you you know, if you keep the sort of outcomes front and centre, then yeah, I mean it is applicable to all context essentially. You keep an eye on what's
0: happening in in other countries of course when it comes to regen ag Um, so I wondered if you could just perhaps using some examples um, of places in the world that you herald is particularly particularly advanced I suppose when it comes to practice and if there's anything that farmers in the UK could learn from those
1: places. Um, Yeah I mean it's difficult I mean there's Yeah, there's the sort of gay brown's um yeah. and Colin Sisses of the world. You know, they, I mean their story is, is is well documented or their stories are well documented and what they've delivered on is you know, it's next level and it's scaled and that's why it's really exciting, you know, you once you learn how to improve, you know, soils at scale then you can do on hundred acres as well as you can do on five thousand acres. Once you understand the principles, um, and that's certainly what people like the Haggerty's in Western Australia have demonstrated. And, you know, they're kind of those climates are incredibly challenging. You know, you could be looking at rainfall at like sort of two to three hundred mil, for example. Yeah. So essentially, you know, we live in a climate or in a context that is actually quite forgiving in lots of ways. So it doesn't really put the same kind of pressure or impetus um, to change, but then it also doesn't bring the same kind of threats in a lot of people. Well, the, the situations that drove people like Gabe Brown to become so innovative, or to be to you know sort of completely sort of rework their agronomy from the ground up, based you know you know going back to first principles, you know placing seed and harvesting crops. You know, there's nothing simpler than that in a in a uh, product, you know. A cereal based operation, mm. but you know he he, for example, you know faced total loss, you know three years consecutive of you know farm wide um crop failure, and you know most people would just go bust yeah, exactly you know, or worse, um and just take the easy way out, so you know what I think will seem really important is that is to is to learn you know the the lessons that are transferable. And you look at it from the point of view of principles. That information that is universal, um, and transfer that to the sort of one's own context, essentially. Um, but the way that I kind of use sort of as a guide or model here in the UK um, is just by looking at areas of land that are out of management, and we see soils that are in a very good state, you know, have excellent infiltration rates. You know, we can infiltrate a you know, full inch of water in, on heavy clay soils in the middle of winter in just a few seconds. So all of these issues that are sort of playing, plaguing British farming day-to-day wet winters, dry summers, you know, essentially they're all kind of like symptomatic issues sort of manifesting just because of the, the fact that the basic underlying condition you know what we're farming on, if you like, the foundation is is very has been degraded. You know, essentially, and you can see that everywhere you look and everywhere you walk, pretty much.
0: This episode is being supported by our primary sponsor, Howden Rural, which is the new name for Aplan Rural. The Howden team shares my passion for giving a voice to farmers, and we are both driven to raise the profile of farming voices to a wider audience. Howden Rural do a lot of work on social media themselves, sharing farming accounts and farming stories. They have a rural community blog which shares farmers' experiences. They also support a growing number of initiatives that champion UK farmers, including this podcast. So a big thank you to Howden Rural for supporting Meet the Farmers. So for a a farmer listening to this um, who might be interested in Dara said, picking up the phone and um, seeing what you do um, when you first arrive on farm for for people you work with when you do a site visit. What will you do? How how will you get to
1: understand that farm as quickly as possible? Typically, we'll, we'll go out in uh, into the fields and you know do that do that monitoring work. Essentially, um, you know we may well have sort of like bit of a chat indoors and you look at maps and that kind of thing, you know, have a bit of an orientation, but I would say the meat of bit really, you know, is getting into the fields and getting the spades out, assessing the mm. structure of the soil that we can see, um, just by using the spade. And, you know, there's a whole hell of a lot that can be gleaned from that fact. And then it can be taken further if we've got some kind of control, again, some kind of area that's sort of out of management that can be compared to and yeah just trying to sort of like essentially correlate below ground and above ground indicators and with management practices essentially and use it as a way to kind of prime a kind of conversation you know that talks about advice, essentially talk about the advice and yeah you know what that might look like, um but always trying to evidence it against you know observ- observable factors and phenomena that we can see clearly you know, in the soil or above ground, you know, are we seeing standing water, for example, like nine times out of ten, for example, if I see standing water in the soils, it will be sort of contraindicating saturation in our soils. Mm. Essentially, if I go and dig under a puddle in a field, nine times out of ten, that soil is going to be dry. I did that recently on a farm in the sort of northeast and... You know it was quite clear the difference between different fields you know we had we walked in one field that had been down to grass for five years you know it's probably sort of drained low lying kind of drained land on the edge of sort of Lincolnshire you know high organic matter soils uh, with lots of ditches around and we walked across a field that had been down to grass for five years with not much to report you know dug the spade and yeah. you know it, the soil structure wasn't anything particular to write home about certainly nothing compared to the um, the margin, but then we went, when we walked onto the um, bit of cropland that had been down uh, sort of under the plough, um, or under conventional arable management for, I don't know, sort of 10, 15 years probably. Our boots were totally caked in mud, Yeah. Okay. and loads and loads of standing water. I mean, this was, this was last week, which is, again, it's just what sort of, um, beginning of December 23, so, you know, I've had lots of rain. And, you know, dug under one of these puddles, um, a couple of inches deep of water and no real evidence of water in the soil wow. when okay. you get out. You know, obviously it sort of quite quickly rushes into the hole when yeah. you, you dig it. Um, but when you sort of break the soil apart, um, apart from where it's been disturbed through the process of actually sort of like excavating the soil, the block itself is again has a sort of matte appearance to it. So it's to all intents and purposes is a sort of a dry um structure. So essentially that standing Water is telling us that we've got compaction, you know, there's no open spaces in the soil, there's no porosity. So the correlation is essentially between that lack of porosity, that lack of you know, um you know channels or for the water to move through the soil so it just sits on the surface Can you give some examples of some
0: of the management practice changes that you might recommend and I know this is speaking very generally here um, and how quickly you might start to see an impact in terms of your measurements and your readings
1: Yeah, I mean in terms of how how quickly you can deliver on the changes that really is an open question at this stage, it has to be said but the feeling is is that the correlation um, between sort of delivery dates and implementation is really about how pronounced the changes are that you would make. I mean, essentially, if you only make incremental changes to management, you're only going to see incremental changes in the in the outcome or yep. in the sort of the underlying condition. So that would be, you might say, a sort of low risk strategy, low risk long term strategy, and also the kind of thing that could probably be scaled to the farm scale, sort of more readily if you like. Whereas the sort of step changes to management, which are what deliver on that, you know, fast track, short term time frame, they come with essentially a higher risk because there is a competence. Issue associated with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, essentially, you're, and I think this is one of the places where perhaps the industry struggled a little bit is that I think we're perhaps a little bit more used to you know, new products or new techniques being developed that pretty much work straight out of the box, whereas a good number of what are sort of on the table need mastering. There's a sort of mastery process. You know, it's the same thing that you didn't just get into a car when you were 15 or maybe it was 12 if you were (laughs) on the farm. But basically, and we're able to sort of, you know, drive, you know, 300 miles and do all the various sort of like, you know, manoeuvres, for example. You know, it took your time to actually sort of learn how to do that. And the same with a lot of sort of farming skills, you know, people pick that up over many years, for example. So I think it's important to understand that like all new practices have potential an inherent potential with them um, but the more sort of beyond your existing competence the higher risk in terms of sort of failures if you like crop failures or yield losses um, um, as well as the lead times in actually sort of like you know perfecting that particular practice so understanding different weather windows for example for particular tools Various different soil types, you know, essentially there's a, there's a real, there's a huge number of variables that we have to sort of deal with day to day. But in terms of, you know, the sort of specifics, I think it probably sort of breaks down into sort of two main sort of areas. And there's one sort of approach for cropping or mixed operations, if you like. And I think in that situation, uh, the soil health principles are really sort of what, um, to my mind, uh, should guide. Uh, management choices, ideally day-to-day, but certainly sort of, you know, through the rotation. And, you know, it's back to those same things, so sort of understanding about the living root, for example, maximising the effect of the living root, but essentially sort of, you know, where roots go, aggregate structure follows, and it, in most cases, not universally, after well, all these things, but in most cases, you know, aggregation is king. Essentially, that's a, that's telling you that your soil is a healthy, a healthy soil is aggregated, a, pore, a soil that's not healthy is compacted in essentially one or the other Yeah. Um, so you know building that healthy crumb structure basically is almost entirely what's well, microbially driven basically but it's all mediated by root growth and healthy plant um, interactions um, so yeah increasing root depth and density for example you know I think it's really important to have dense roots and roots are actively growing and you know, you know, sort of feeding and sort of microbial communities but in general with the sort of advice you don't probably get too sort of bogged down in that kind of detail. Just kind of, like I say, just, you know, focus on the roots, use strategies that deliver on increased root density, you know, particularly in the grazing situation because you really only find that sort of good, good crumb structure where you've actually got a proper turf. You know yeah. where the sort of the roots are intermingling and overlapping, and you know again where you've got that dense root. So it's really about sort of extending that sort of root depth further down, and essentially it would be management practices that would deliver on that at scale. And again, in the grazing situation, uh, and that's making sure that you're paddock, paddocking up and not keeping animals in a, a, an area or cell or paddock for longer than two days um, during the grow, growing season. You know, all of those things kind of like set the stage if you like, but then we can use some sort of mechanical mineral interventions to kind of fast track or otherwise sort of give um, improved management practices a bit of a leg up. So I think, you know, there's essentially opportunities to treat symptoms. Um, a lot of compaction effectively is a sort of symptom, um, but understanding that we also want to be addressing the causes at the same time. Yeah. Any with sort of With story? that in mind, is it, is it possible, in your view, to grow all crops
0: regeneratively?
1: Yeah, I would say so. Um, and I mean, I think it's important not to get fixated on any one kind of problem crop. I think that often people would say, oh, well, potatoes, I've got potatoes in the rotation, yeah. therefore the whole thing's a washout, you know. I, I grow potatoes, therefore I can't be regenerative. Yeah. Um, and although, you know, root crops are... As is maize, any sort of late harvested crop, for example, you know, is rightly known as being potentially a sort of a, a damaging crop or destructive crop. That's not the crop's fault. Mm. At the end of the day, um, I've been plenty of gardeners, for example, use potatoes um, to sort of prepare ground. Yep. You know, they think that it gets well their their experiences. You get great soil after after potatoes. <laughs> You know, despite the fact that they've got, there's been disturbance to, to lift them and harvest them, Um, so I think the important thing is that you want is to look at the whole rotation, um, and to look at the agronomy across the whole rotation, um, and then to zoom in, to the detail of each, each phase in the rotation. So always looking at establishment, looking at crop practices, looking at harvesting practices identifying any breaks or fallows between harvest and um and planting um and finding ways essentially to use the well again using the sort of have principles to sort of inform the the, the outcomes that you're looking for and finding ways to you know shorten those um windows between harvest and planting, finding ways to sort of fast track establishment um, so we get a good root growth. Um, good dense roots into soils, because I mean essentially I think one of the, the one of the main issues with late harvested um crops essentially is is due to ground conditions much more than it is weather conditions yes I mean I think the key point is that like again all of the sort of the mess you see from you know maize harvests, for example they're due to soils already having very poor structure, whereas you know a maze historically has been known as one of the best ways to the fastest ways to build and build soil structure so essentially the kind of take home across the board um is you know finding ways to build aggregate structure um because then you've got sponge structure in your soils um, so when it does come wet the water doesn't lie on the surface it percolates through for example and also that soil's sort of, got a springiness, it's got a sponginess, basically, so when you drive over it with some wheeled equipment, yes, it will go down briefly, but then it'll come back up again. I mean, it's not directly analogous, basically, but, you know, essentially, you could take a kitchen sponge and park a truck on it for a week. As soon as you back the truck off, you know, it returns back to that original structure. We shouldn't confuse the sort of, the correlation with the cause essentially. Um yeah. I think that you, again it's what people are showing as they get more into this is that, you know, as you improve soil structure and soil health, you know, when it when it when it does turn wet, which it will do, um, there's no mud. You know, no mud on your boots, no rutting or much limited sort of rutting, poaching, all of these other sort of like phenomena we associate we associate with wet weather those phenomena really should be associated with poor ground poor soil health, mm. not weather conditions.
0: Meet the Farmers is brought to you by Rural Pod Media, the only podcast production agency to specialise in the rural sector. We're on a mission to make rural stories mainstream and help businesses, organisations and communities like you tell your story through podcasting. Podcasting is a fantastic way of connecting with your audience, whoever that might be, getting your message out there and networking with leaders in your niche. RuralPod Media can help you by launching your new podcast or helping you with the technical side. We also provide podcast training and an audit service if you already have a podcast you're not sure where to take it to next. For more information or to book a call, visit ruralpodmedia.co.uk. That's ruralpodmedia.co.uk.
1: I think that you gets what you pays for, essentially, if you invest in the knowledge through this approach, you know, essentially, if you spend the if you have the time and, you know, essentially that is a big question and the resources associated with it, I don't think that they're actually that large necessarily. We're not talking about, less, you know, when it comes to skilling up, it's not the same level of um, investment as like a brand new drill, for example, you know, um, but I think those people that take the time or find the time and have the time to essentially train themselves they 're the ones that make the most progress okay okay um, but I think the challenge is for, for the sector as a whole is that essentially you 're retraining i mean that 's the bottom line you know if you want to put it in really, in real sort of simple money you 're retraining mm. on the job mm with no safety nets, no in, and no institution to sort of like frame that and to package the the knowledge and deliver it to you, even though you know postgrad isn't that heavily packaged, if you like, but still you know it's resourced, it's curated, it's pastoral care there, for example. So essentially, you know, we're you know, retraining on the job without a manual. Yeah. You know, so essentially we're having to sort of write the manual and and, you know, fill it in and apply on-farm and then try and scale it all whilst trying to stay in business, yeah. basically. putting it like that it doesn't sound that tempting. <laughs> not really.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and yet yeah, yeah, there are lots of farmers out there who
1: are highly passionate about going in this direction. Yeah, and I think ultimately, perhaps it's un- un- underappreciated, but in truth, the majority of the UK, most farm farming, not just... Um, UK runs on good goodwill and passion and commitment. Yeah, you know, very few people in farming are really getting rich off it, basically. And if they're trying to, then as a producer, as a direct producer, they're in the wrong game. Yeah, really. Yeah, I think that's one of the opportunities or one of the sort of needs, I suppose, um, is to is to find that support and create those support networks, peer to peer, if you like. And I probably think that that is hopefully one of the the big pieces that i can sort of you know bring to the the table as a sort of third party is trying to sort of identify best practice from the sort of the the long lists that are out there if you like um and kind of rationalize them into forms that can then be sort of you know sorted by farmers um into what's sort of appropriate for them and um, what they can latch on to but then also try to sort of i suppose demystify a lot of the stuff that is always um associated with um new knowledge essentially and hopefully try and remove some of the barriers at least sort of like psychologically to the sort of you know what it you know won't work for me on my farm because i'm on heavy soil it won't work for me uh, on my farm because i'm in an upland context for example Um, yeah just just on that i mean what are what are some of the common misconceptions that uh, that you think that there are there are that pe- people perhaps go like that. That's the, that's one example. Yeah, I mean, I mean, essentially that's what my the talk that I now sort of deliver, or the sort of vehicle that I'm I'm now sort of working with, um, mostly is is the weatherproof farm, and again that is sort of the gleanings from my soils monitoring. On now 250-200 farms has now convinced me personally that it's poor soil health and poor pasture health. Uh, again on grazing or mixed operations that is the true weakness in the system Uh, it's not the fact that it rains loads in the winter or that you're on clay soils or that you're in the northwest for example again the sort of evidence is that you know by benchmarking on these farms between those areas that are under management inverted commas and those areas that are out of management but they're in close proximity to each other, so essentially we're seeing equivalent kind of environmental conditions: same soil type, same aspect, same altitude, same latitude, um, you know, same rainfall, for example. And yet we see, you know, chalk and cheese significant differences in below ground conditions. Essentially, from that we can reduce the key drivers to that in that situation or in that sort of situation yet to management essentially all the things you're you're working you're firefighting or dealing with day to day all those issues nine times out of ten or more they will be exclusively due to historic and potentially some contemporary management practices so essentially that is you know in a lot of ways a kind of good news story because that is the one thing That is in your control. Yeah, you can actually do something about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, And you are not. Again, I can say this with some degree of confidence. You are not stuck with the soil that you you are stuck with. You know, you're always going to be on a heavy soil, but the fact that it behaves heavy and it manages heavy is because it's in a poor state of health. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's really interesting is looking at sort of the ways that soil types are described uh, on soil texture, soil textural classification analysis, you know, your sand, silt and clay um, analysis on sort of lab tests, for example. So, you know, you, you, get, you send it off and you get like you know, a sandy, sandy silt loam or this kind of thing, yeah. for example. You know, some soils that I've dealt with, you know, will come back as a sandy silt loam and um, you know, it will just it will, it was it would literally use the phrase drainage rate rapid, okay, and you can be literally holding up this piece of paper in the field, tramping around, slush, sloshing around <laughs> in water. You know, even on a slope, yeah. for example, you can't change the sort of underlying geology um, of your farm essentially, but the way it behaves, how it you know how it how it like acts in wet periods acts in dry periods is exclusively due to management practices and from it the sort of health status of that soil basically
0: um let's broaden this out yeah to your i'm just interested in your view and we get lots of different uh, responses to this but the the most pressing issue in agriculture for you
1: what is it compaction soil compaction I mean again just coming back to the point before I mean essentially uh, I have yet to go to a farm with the exception of maybe one or two fields uh, and not found compaction when I put the spade in the ground. There's always an exception to that rule for example you know very light soils very sandy soils for example they're at the other end of the spectrum but they're suffering from exactly the same issues but in that situation it manifests as them being very structureless and just sort of readily kind of blowing and being very droughty or you know very kind of or becoming very stony for example um but essentially it's that poor soil health and for most soils you know it's kind of just reducible to that sort of one factor that because the soils have no structure to them there's no aggregation there's nothing that's holding them open they settle back into a packed structure which in old money by any other um name is compaction and
0: in your experience of your 200 plus farms that you've worked on does that depend on how has that impacted on land use whether we're talking permanent pasture a grass lay or
1: a cultivated field is, is there any difference um they're all compacted i think that's the, the the key point um i mean there's always somebody worse you know yeah there's always you can, there's always another level <laughs> that it can be taken to um But I think that it's important to sort of leave out those conditions that have been created by, you know, a harvest or a particular field operation that happened once and focus back on the systemic um, factors um, and those factors that essentially are at play sort of every week of every year, either throughout the rotation or through, through the grazing season I mean, I think probably the thing that most people would be surprised about is how poorly structured most grassland is. Um, well, yeah. I'm essentially going to say all in this case, not most, but all. Um, and again, it's obviously on a range in general, you know, permanent pastures are in a, in a better shape, uh, in inverted commas, um, than your dairy pastures, for example. But neither of them are great by any means you know even the permanent pasture is not even anywhere near the state that it could be at i think that's the the key point um and again it's it's entirely due to historic management practices um and particularly set stocking and wormers and essentially nutrient management practices and then in the dairy sector it's more about you know kind of the fact it's been reseeded and you know slurry and these kind of things if you like or um, sorry, condition and all these other factors but they all tend to this same sort of state that you have kind of compaction below a sort of inch you get about an inch or so of roots and turf but not much more than that uh, in general and then below that you know essentially it's a very sort of blocky structure dense packed structures um that just don't absorb water i mean that's the bottom line um, I mean, it's not the only way that it manifests. But the reason why the UK burns off every other year is because they're not infiltrating any of that, that sort of bucket load of water that falls in the winter or in the spring. You know, we sort of lurch from, you know, sort of Battle of the Somme to Sahara. Yeah. You know, in just a few weeks. And this year was sort of the kind of the um, epitome of this that, you know, Again, in sort of the grazing context, but not limited to that. So, you know, that sort of first grazing round. You know, was sort of April, late March, April, depending if you're turned out or not. You know, just a total mud bath. You know, and no crops got in, and that whole kind of drilling window was a no no. You know, people squeezed them in in Feb, for example, and most people did all right with that. But the majority of the the drilling window was you know completely shut basically. But for that first grazing round. You know just you know, just a you know a mud bath um and then you know four weeks later, suddenly you were a hundred kilos a day across the as a national average which you know which is excellent it's as good as it gets pretty much or certainly historically, but then four weeks later, it had wound back to forty percent of that figure, you know so rather than it being the sort of the peak production as it should be mid June, you know way before the summer slump and all that kind of thing um it was the lowest producing. So, you know, how can you come how can you go from, you know, essentially a total mud bath, in other words it's pissing down with rain, to a drought, you know, in four weeks. You know, essentially the kind of the conclu- well, the observation, not the conclusion, the, the the evidence is that the water just isn't getting into the soil. Yeah. It's just sitting at the surface or it's running off. And when it sits at the surface it all the issues that we have housing poaching etc etc but then it's also not in the soil to drive production when the sun does come out you know
0: just a little more about our primary sponsor howden rural which is the new name for aplan rural Same people, different name. Howden Rural provide bespoke insurance cover for farms and estates. This could be for anything from tractors and machinery to a new exciting diversification venture. So for more information, visit howdeninsurance.co.uk forward slash rural. We're going to start to round this up because, um, yeah, but I'm going to bring it back to you, I suppose, in terms of what's next for you you've you've already outlined perhaps some of the some of the focuses for your farmers for next year um but what's your ambition with all of this where where, where do you see yourself fitting within i suppose the broader direction of region ag what, what excites you about region ag over the next few years and, and and what might happen
1: what would be nice is it you know we kind of we get to the point where the adoption is so widespread that we no longer need to use the sort of particular label but I think that I get I think that I'm excited now that there's enough interest from farmers to sort of implement or sort of to take a punt I suppose is probably what the sort of the fact of it is that like you know there's enough interest there's enough sort of sort of a groundswell if you like enough sort of competence for people to feel I'm happy enough to sort of again sort of take a risk on these different practices you know, you you know, essentially in a commercial, for example, in a commercial dairy context, for example, you know, we're speaking to a sort of number of individuals that fit under that heading, um, and you know, they're gen they're concerned about all the same things that everybody else is. You know, prices and the weather, and you know, all these things basically. But they're really, it's it feels like um, they wanted to, you know, take control, bring identify. More things that are in the sphere of control, and you know really sort of focus on trying to sort of drive that at scale and through and see how that translates through to the bottom line. I mean I think that probably is what excites me probably is moving from that sort of principles um, approach and you know moving to the sort of um actually sort of that evidence. Okay. And trying to sort of see if that, how we can build in sort of financial metrics to these these types of changes so that again, you know, we can say categorically not I don't think we'll ever necessarily be able to offer prescription, you know, do A, A B, and C mm. and you will see you yeah, know, X, Y, and Z basically. Um, but that we can make sort of fairly broad statements that, you know, these types of interventions will lead to these type, these general uh, outcomes. But I think also what I'm interested in is having the opportunity to sort of tease apart some of the sort of nuance, because even within, you know, the set of practices that are sort of on the table, there's a huge variation Mm -hmm. within that. I mean, just with subsoilers, for example, again, I don't want to sort of say that any one intervention, again, is sort of a magic bullet or, you know, that the answer to your problem, all your problems in subsoilers, even if your soils are compacted, you know, again, you are just really just treating the symptom. But even under that heading, you know, you've got, you know, different points, different sort of ge- designs of points, different depths, different yes. weather windows, different soil types. Okay. Um, And I think that's probably what we're lacking is that sort of nuance to say, you know, you know, if you're on this sort of loamy soil, and it's sort of, on the wetter end, back end of the season, this type of sort of starting point, you know, you want to go at this depth, um, and you can expect to need to repeat it this number of times, and you expect to see these kind of outcomes. And I think that's the sort of, it's the detail that we just don't really have, you know. There's one person that's really au fait with this bit of kit. There's another person that's really okay with that bit of kit on their soils, for yeah. example. But you um,
0: can't even necessarily actually draw that information to a wider, any a wider conclusion.
1: Absolutely, I mean the challenge is though. Um, there is a huge number of acres, you know the most most of the acres in the UK. Certainly, for example, in the grazing context, but like I I would say this again would be true in arable and probably also horticulture. But even more, they're in a really bad state. I mean, in a nutshell, my thinking is that like you know the reason why you're going broke is not because of the price of the market, it's because your saws are knackered. So I think that probably that is what the sort of next stage of the mission is, is to try and scale this and, you know, do this at sort of, you know, tens of, tens of thousands of acres, hundreds of thousands of acres across the UK because, you know, just dairy, they all fall into a fairly similar kind of pattern and, you know, they're all hoovering up you know, millions of tonnes of nitrogen every year, basically, um, and it kind of seems that that's almost entirely unnecessary just due to the choice of, um, just because of sward composition, you know, the, you know, plant selection. For me, is you know, just transitioning large areas uh, or having sort of large numbers of, you know, individuals or farm farm groups, you know, in progress and really sort of yep. like, you know, moving on with these things. Um and hopefully having the opportunity to engage with you know more farmers over longer longer periods of time you know and actually sort of sort of going with them on their journey so i'm I'm able to experience you know some of the sort of not necessarily day to day but more of that more of the ongoing story um, and be able to communicate that you know to to the wider community yeah. Uh, if there is a farmer listening to this
0: um who's interested in getting in touch with you and talking more uh, where's the best place to go to find your information
1: uh yeah so you can come to my website nilscorfield.com um you should look up on the podcast how to spell that but <laughs> i before it, it'll e be, it'll
0: be in the show notes yes yeah. uh
1: the way to remember is i before e even after c <laughs> um uh but otherwise same my name at uh, nils underscore caulfield at twitter uh, on twitter and and on um, instagram for example fantastic well nils thank you so
0: much for giving us so much of your time and yeah that's been a fascinating roundup and i think reflection on uh where we are almost with the state of soils actually i suppose that's that's been the headline for me to come out Um, and just to take some time um, to reflect on that Um, before you go though I'm not going to let you go without the final questions first of all Niels Caulfield your message to the public any message?
1: Um, to the general public general public general public Um, make friends with a farmer yep good and message to farmers make friends with the public
0: yeah why not however possible you know that's good. I like it. Um, that's it. We'll leave it there. That is it for today. Thank you very much for listening. And thank you to my guest, Niels Caulfield. For more information on Niels' work, just visit nielscaulfield.com. Big thanks also to our primary podcast sponsor, Howden Rural, for supporting the show. Next time, I'll be speaking to Shropshire farmer, Claire Mannering. Until then, though, I'm Ben Eagle. This has been Meet the Farmers. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you all have a great week.